Welcome to This is What Democracy Sounds Like. I'm Kevin Prang. This program is a presentation of Metropolitan Congregations United. MCU is a community organization that brings together religious congregations, community groups, and individuals to work for a common purpose, to create a better life for all residents of the region. We work at the intersection of race, economy, political power, gender, and the structures of oppression at work within us individually, within our organization, and within the community. We are working towards building people's control of the government, building community control of the economy, expanding the public sphere, and creating structural racial equity. Today, my guest is Reverend Daryl Gray. Reverend Gray has been fighting for civil rights for over 40 years and is currently the chair of the Social Justice Commission at the Missouri Progressive Baptist Commission. Welcome, Reverend Gray. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. It's a pleasure being here. Uh, I'm a big fan of the, the work of MCU, uh, the way that they um, educate and inform, engage, and mobilize people around social justice issues. So it, it's my honor. Great. Thank you. And we're going to have a broad discussion today. Uh, but in general, I want to talk about uh, working for justice, both, shall we say, in the streets and in the halls of power. Uh, Reverend Gray has had experience both as a Kansas state senator and uh, recently ran for Missouri state representative of the 77th district. Uh, so uh, that's kind of where we want to take this discussion today. Um, you've been working against discrimination for justice for a long time. What was it that got you started on this journey and what spurred you to action that first time? Growing up in the South, um, growing up in uh, South Carolina in the, in the 50s and the 60s, uh, you, uh, you're, you're confronted with uh, the reality of racism on a daily basis, uh, segregation, Jim Crow. Uh, and so I guess that was my, that was my beginning. <clears throat> um, integration didn't hit South Carolina until the late sixties. Although, uh, Brown versus the board of education in 1954, Segre uh, uh, addressed the segregation of schools uh, and forced uh, integration through the federal federal courts. South Carolina, I don't I don't know what happened. The, the message got to us late, Kevin. And so, in 1969, when uh, we moved from an all black high school to a integrated high school, our first pep rally, uh, basketball pep rally, hundreds of students in the in the gym. Uh, black on one side, white on the other side. Uh, the doors fly open. White student comes in uh, wearing Confederate clothes, Confederate flag, riding, believe it or not, in the gym, a white horse. I got up and walked out. Don't know why, uh, but I got, well, I do know why, but I got up and walked out. Uh, what I didn't know behind me were a couple of hundred students who walked out behind me. I was... Uh, uh, suspended from school for uh, inciting a riot mm. from high school. That mm. was that was my first nonviolent protest that I led without knowing I was leading it. Uh, but uh, after that and since then, I've been involved and engaged, started working with the Southern Christian Leadership Conference with the uh, late uh, Reverend uh, Dr. Ralph David Abernathy. He recruited me with SCLC. Uh, went on to work with uh, Dr. Lowry, Mrs. King, Reverend Jackson, and a host of others. So uh, it started in South Carolina, and, and here we are almost 50 years later, 
still at least still trying to do the work for social justice and social change. Okay, and, and what brought you to St. Louis since you've been around the country? Cory Bush, uh, Congresswoman uh, elect Cory Bush. Uh, I was I had a church in Montreal that I was pastoring on the weekends, believe it or not. And during the weekday, I was still at SCLC in Atlanta. I was working at the national headquarters, uh, special assistant to the national president. And uh, I met Cory Bush in Selma, Alabama, uh, during the 50th anniversary of the Selma to Montgomery March. She had brought a group of activists down from Ferguson um, to the celebration. <clears throat> we kind of met inadvertently, didn't even know each other. Uh, but we find ourselves in the same space. And a couple of months later, uh, I invited her to speak at a national SCLC convention in Baton Rouge. I, I talked to Corey for all of maybe 10 minutes in Baton Rouge and something about her just struck me. And I said, I'm looking forward to working with you one day. And a few months after the convention, she called me, said that they wanted to start a, a Southern Christian Leadership Conference here in St. Louis. Uh, I traveled out to St. Louis, met with ministers, met with uh, activists, began the process of doing that. Then a couple of months later, she called me back. She said, we're going to have to put the chapter development on hold. I thought I had done something wrong. Uh, I said, why? What happened? She said, I'm going to run for the Senate. I said, good. Now, you know, as a former state senator, I figured that was great. Uh, from the Ferguson movement, we're going from protest to politics to policy. Great idea. She said, no, not state Senate, U.S. Senate. And I paused, obviously. And I just said, listen, I don't I don't do symbolism. I mean, you know, I don't I don't I don't do the symbolic stuff anymore. I'm too old for that. Only substance. She said it is substantive, Reverend Gray. She said, Jason Kander's running. He's going to win the nomination. He's running statewide. Usually in Missouri, when you run statewide, you have to start in the middle. As a Democrat, you start in the middle and lean right. She said, we don't want him to lean too far right. So I'm going to keep him honest. And I left my job with SCLC, kept doing my church on the weekend because they were paying my salary and came to uh, Missouri to uh, to be Corey's campaign manager, worked for her first campaign, senior advisor for her second campaign. She won the congressional seat on her third campaign. So if anybody's if, if anybody wants to blame anyone for Reverend Gray coming to Missouri, blame Corey Bush. That sounds good. Um, and, and thank you for that background, because those those sort of details, I, I don't think uh, most people know about uh, uh, Congressman uh, Bush. Um, there's uh, the story is always that she came out of nowhere. She didn't come out of nowhere. There's a no. lot of hard work behind that and a lot yeah. of thought and preparation. Yeah. Well, and that is the reality. I think that uh, it, it was interesting what what promotes uh, a Ferguson activist, single mom, uh, nurse, protester, to decide to run for the United States Senate with no political experience and no money, no structure, no organization. Uh, it was her heart. Uh, it's always been her heart. Uh, she's always had a heart for people. Uh, and I think the political astuteness on uh, Congresswoman-elect Bush's part, even at that juncture of her political life, to say, let's keep him from going too far right. He's gonna win, he's the golden, golden boy of, of the Democratic Party, you know, we get it, but, and, and, and understandingly so, I mean, you know, being politically pragmatic, 
knowing that you have to kind of lean right. Uh, and Jason only lost by 3%. But Corey kept him speaking to issues that came out of the Ferguson movement, uh, police accountability and transparency, uh, 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 criminal justice reform, in particular those issues, uh, uh, police violence and militarizing police. Uh, and those were the issues. Those were the Ferguson issues. Uh, and, and, and I think that, no, I, I know that Corey was extremely successful. Uh, in doing that. And the numbers that she got uh, from that race uh, are what propelled her uh, to, to, to move to run in the congressional race against a Lacey Clay. Uh, and so, you know, it is important. And I think that the whole idea of the movement, realizing that we have to, as you said earlier in your, uh, in your introduction, uh, Reverend Jackson used to say, that we have to uh, be present in the streets and in the suites. I mean, you know, he liked the rhyme. So, uh, I mean, be it the, the, the state house, city hall, uh, the, 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 the United States Capitol, we have to be present in all of these spaces. And Corey understood that uh, more than people understood her. Uh, she traveled this state, Kevin, uh, she went to counties, uh, Jasper County, Miller County, that some folks said, Reverend Gray don't take her. Uh, it's not that they're just red counties, they're racist counties. Uh, and I said, whatever you do, don't say that too loud, because if she hears you say it, that's the place she's going to want to go. Uh, and, and we did. Uh, we traveled in a lot of places. Ended up in some rooms, Kevin, where you had 300 uh, people uh, and four of them were black. That was myself, Corey, uh, and two other people at our campaign. And I remember one incident uh, in Miller County where we had just finished a panel discussion. We were in the lobby getting ready to leave. Uh, and this guy walked up to us, six foot a lot. Uh, cowboy hat, cowboy boots, cowboy belt, looking down at us. And I'm six foot. And he's looking down at us. And he looked at Corey and he said, I'm going to vote for you. And we're all dumbfounded because we're like, man, we're lucky to get out of here alive, let alone with a vote. Uh, and I looked at him and, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm reaching to see if I'm, if I'm strapped. <laughs> and Corey said to him, Why? And he said to her, because you showed up. We, we've, we've learned, Kevin, that we have to show up if we're going to be successful uh, in transforming uh, this city, this state, this country, that we have to show up uh, in places that, are, that, that we're, going to, we're going to be uncomfortable uh, and we're going to be nervous. Uh, and we might even just be downright scared. It may be intimidating. It may be threatening. It may even be dangerous, but we have to show up. Uh, and that's what Corey did. That's, that's, that's the movement. That's, that's what we do now. Uh, it's just not uh, protesting and boycotting. It's making presentations before city officials and county officials. It's going to the state legislature and dropping banners 
or, or giving presentations at public hearings or running for political office. We, we don't have an option of trying to do one thing at a time. We don't have that luxury. We have to fight our battle or battles on every battlefront. Our front line is North, South, East, and West. Uh, and so, you know, Corey, people like Bruce Franks, Rasheen Aldridge, uh, you know, my, my heroes, those are my heroes. They came out of the movement. They understood what, what was necessary uh, and they did what was necessary. Uh, and and, and, and uh, I tell you uh, more so why they're my heroes, because even after they got elected, they continue to be present in the streets. So I'm a Baptist preacher. I give long answers. To oh, that's questions. okay. That, that Those are some things I was going to ask about anyways. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, after our last election here this past November, our Republican governor Parson won by a margin of 57% to 40% over Nicole Galloway. It was about the same margin of victory for uh, Donald Trump within the state. And it, it my reaction after, after that is, I, I don't know how we have conversations with with people in the middle of a pandemic, in, in the middle of an economic downturn, who decided that the status quo was better. And and but what you're saying is that showing up is so important, um, and and that surprises sort of await us if we do, because you know I, I don't know what the path forward is if that's that's what the voters ha- have selected. You know, and we looked at, I mean, I think you also know I'm a former secretary of the Missouri Democratic Party, you know, trying to, you know, advocate, public servant, politician, you know, whatever. Uh, and we looked at it. As I said, Corey showed up as a black candidate going into some very red counties. I, I, I do agree that the pandemic uh, handcuffed us in, in a lot of ways in Missouri didn't allow us to go into counties to speak to voters in the traditional way, the way that voters are accustomed to. And that's face to face, Uh, regardless if you are a Republican or a Democrat or independent or libertarian or whatever. All of us know that face to face is always going to be the best way. And we couldn't do that. I think Nicole recognized uh, that that was part part of the problem. Corona pandemic was part of the problem, but we're still in Missouri. We're, we're still in the, the 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 last state to give up slaves. We're still in a, a northern state that faces south, uh, and outside of I seventy, it's just like we use the old adage that once you get outside of Atlanta, you're in Georgia. Well, once you get outside of I-70, you're in Missouri. And so there's still a huge element of racial animus, uh, bigotry and hatred and racial insensitivity and ignorance that exists as well. Uh, And so coupled with uh, the, 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 the Trump, uh, dog whistle division uh, uh, coupled with uh, a good old boy, you know, governor like 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 Mike, uh, you know, 
the Democrats were faced in, in Missouri, were faced with so many obstacles uh, that it was just hard to overcome them uh, with all of the, uh, uh, the elements that I just mentioned. It was difficult to overcome. Uh, and, and I think that the other thing was, uh, and, and I, I, I love Nicole Galloway, supported her with everything that I had, but I still don't think that as Democrats, we did enough, not just Nicole, but as a party, we did not do enough to try to go to 114 counties. You cannot automatically assume that because a county is red, that there are not enough people within that county, be they Democrat, independent, or Republicans who have just had enough to make somewhat of a difference, maybe not in that county, but in the state overall. And so because we didn't have that overall strategy, we, we lost uh, a half a million votes. A half a million votes in a state like Missouri are not a lot of votes, believe it or not, to overcome. We just, you know, we had all these things. And I think that we, 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 we kind of gave up uh, and so, and, and then the last thing is, Missouri was Trump's to lose. It, it just was. Uh, it, 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 red state, it was Trump's to lose. We, we, we grapple with, well, if Biden had come, excuse me, President-elect Biden had come to Missouri once or twice, not in St. Louis, not in Columbia, not in Kansas City, but maybe Springfield maybe the boot hill. If he had, if he had maybe come, maybe St. Charles spoke to more suburban folk, uh, could that have made a difference? You know, 2020 hindsight is a wonderful yeah. thing. And, and that's the nature of, of the electoral college, I guess, too, where, where you, everybody's focusing on just a handful of states. And, and that brings up a, another question too. I mean, you, you talked about um, the, the dog whistles from, from Trump, but I would, our governor was was participating in that too. Some of the ads around uh, the defund the police issue and the images used and making sure to use Cori Bush's image in those ads was essentially saying to rural voters, be afraid of the black people, they're coming for your police. And it, it was playing on that racist fear theme. And it had, that just seems like, you know, how, how do we get beyond that sort of framing that's been established by, by our governor? Yeah, I mean, we, 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 racism is perpetuated by fear and greed and ignorance. Uh, the political greed that is real, not only in, in this state, but political greed is real. Uh, the ignorance, ignorance is oftentimes based upon a lack of knowledge. And so it's easy to put an ad out uh, disparaging uh, urban areas, black, black people, protesters, activists uh, outside of I-70. Uh, and so when, you, when you're dealing with the, you know, uh, the ignorance or a lack of knowledge, and then the biggest thing, fear. Uh, and he did, he stoked the fire of fear uh, for white Missourians, not just in the rural area either, uh, in St. Louis, too, in Columbia and St. Charles. 
uh, and Jackson County. Uh, and so I don't want people to think that this was simply rural versus urban. It wasn't. This was about fear. It was about white people be afraid uh, because uh, this this crime uh, that's going on in St. Louis and Kansas City and Springfield among black folk are coming to a community near you. And that's what he was saying. He wasn't saying that uh, crime uh, is going to jack up your insurance policies or they're going to be breaking in your house. He, you know, he was he was saying that public safety is about protecting white folk. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about defunding public safety, which means taking away money to protect you. That's what he said. And uh, and he used Cory Bush. Cory Bush was a lightning rod. Rasheen, Representative Rasheen Aldridge. I mean, those were the two elected, well, one elected official and one candidate that he definitely used. And it was shameful. It was disgraceful. But it was political reality. And we didn't do enough to push back. You know, you, you had the Democratic Party that kind of distanced uh, itself from defund the police. Right. They spent more time backing away from the phrase than calling out the governor and his racism is kind right. of what I felt was happening. And exactly, exactly. And, and, and just saying, listen, this is our understanding as a party that defunding the police is about reallocating funds. Mm -hmm. It's about saying, why are we spending over 50 percent of our budgets, be it city budget, county budget, or whatever, on public safety and spending less than 10% on public housing or public education or health uh, or, or human resources or, or health care. That was the discussion. That was the, the, the real argument that, that we had. You, you defund education, you defund public health, you defund public housing. So that's what we were trying to say. And, and, and sometimes, uh, you know, I learned this when I was working with SCLC a long time ago with, with, with an old activist called Golden, Fra Golden Franks. He said, sometimes our, our language has, has got to be the motivating factor to start a conversation. It is in the language. And I heard President uh, Barack Obama just say recently that that, 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 that could be problematic. That, that we can lose an audience. But our, and, and once again, you know, I think Barack Obama was, was, was the best president that I've ever known in my lifetime. Uh, and I understand what he said. I get it. But for that audience that we lose, because we say defund the police, uh, maybe they weren't part of the family in the first place. And, and, and that would be my argument. I say continue to have the conversation, continue to educate, continue to inform. That's what Dr. King taught us. He said, before you mobilize, you get, you get your information and then you educate. You educate the public. And that's what we're trying to do through the whole conversation of defund the police. Now, their, their bigger issue was when Congresswoman-elect Bush said, defund the Pentagon. Now, that's what really got him crazy. 
when when she said that, Lord, the ads went up, Kevin. Right, right. And you had Democratic candidates who were who were who who seemed to be shell shocked. I understood. I mean, Dr. King talked about the fact that we spend so much money uh, uh, in 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 the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. He talked about the money we spend on bombs versus the money we spend on bread in a country where so many people are living below poverty and especially in St. Louis. And I think Congresswoman elect Bush understood that she has 20,000 employees at Boeing in her congressional district. But I, and, but I know I'm going to say Corey, she'll always speak from where she believes in a, is a position of truth. And so when she says it, her interpretation, her understanding is the same as Bernie Sanders and others who say we are spending more, too much money on the military and not enough money on feeding people or taking care of homelessness or, or, or some of these other issues uh, that are uh, contributing to the crime in our cities. But, you know, uh, as you said in the beginning, uh, Parson and and uh, and the Republican Party continue uh, to to look for ways to divide us uh, as a state, as a country, versus trying to bring us together, uh, and and that's something that that is a continuous fight. That brings me to another question, whether it be if, if you were to be elected or or in the case of uh, Congressman elect Bush, uh, bringing the energy and and the words of of activism to the halls of of power, which are not used to those things. You know, uh, what, what what kind of things is she uh, going to be up against? Is, is she need to look to do in order to to actually uh, get get things done to build coalitions. They say that you know politics is the art of compromise, compromise. And, and so um, you know there's that balance that has to be st- struck where uh, we all love the energy and the passion, but there are uh, uh, I'm forgetting my numbers now. What 430, 37 mm-hmm. other Congress right. people to, to to work with. So where does that where does that balance strike? And, and from your experience, where where do you find that balance? I mean, I've I've always I'm a progressive Democrat. Uh, even as a Baptist minister, I know that some people might think that that's an oxymoron, but I'm I'm a progressive Democrat. Uh, and what I learned as a state senator, what I've learned as secretary of the Missouri Democratic Party, what I've learned. Uh, as a public servant, servant is that in order to affect change, we have to affect policy. In order to affect policy, we need to be on the inside. Uh, we need to be in the suite. We need to be in the room. Uh, Corey is going to have to, Congresswoman-elect Bush is going to have to, uh, uh, find a way uh, to speak truth to power, at the same time as compromising, not, not her principles, not her principles. Because I believe that uh, w- w- when people find out that Cori Bush is Cori Bush, she's, she's not pretending 
She's authentic. She's genuine. She's the real deal. Uh, I, I think that will gain their respect. They'll, they'll see that her, her success is based upon her ability to create coalitions and form alliances. Uh, she won her election because of a coalition not because of black votes. Uh, Congressman Clay uh, had more of the black votes. Uh, uh, Congresswoman-elect Bush had a coalition support behind her. So I, I think that what she'll do once, you know, once she uh, is inaugurated and starts moving is trying to figure out who are my coalition partners? Uh, who, and, and I'm not talking about just the AOC crowd. But, be, but, but those, those center Democrats, people like Congressman Emanuel Cleaver, uh, who has already reached out to her, and she's reached out to him and has asked him to mentor her. So already her political astuteness is such where she has already reached out to a Congressman Cleaver, a senior congressman, and said, said mentor me. She's part of the progressive wing, so she already has a 100 plus other progressive Congress people with her, but she, she has enough political sense to reach out to an Emmanuel Cleaver and say, mentor me. It's gonna be the Emmanuel Cleavers who are going to walk her through the halls of Congress, not necessarily the AOCs or, the, or, the, or even the Bernie Sanders. It's gonna be the Emmanuel Cleavers, the, the moderate uh, Democrats, who are going to introduce her to other moderate Democrats and compassionate conservatives so that she can benefit uh, St. Louis and the first congressional district. She's already begun to reach out and that's going to definitely benefit the first congressional district. Okay, great. So let's talk a little bit locally then here. Um, St. Louis, the city, uh, it seems like we take a couple steps forward, then we go backwards. For instance, yeah. the workhouse, we've been told it was going to be closed. Now that's being postponed. What do you feel like is getting in the way of the city making progress? Silo, silo, silo politics. Uh, we have 28 older people who are going in 28 different directions. Every now and then, uh, you'll have clusters of, of uh, older people uh, around one issue that might go the same way. You might have the cluster of progressives around privatization. You might have the cluster of Black caucus around the issue of ward reduction. You might have this cluster going, you know, it, it's, it's just the way it works. Uh, and it has been an impediment uh, to progress in this city uh, forever. Uh, that's the reality. I think ward reduction is gonna make a difference uh, because uh, you'll have, uh, what, 12, I can't remember the number, I think maybe 12 older people, 12, 13, 12 older people, uh, 14 max versus 28. I think that will make a difference. It forces uh, all the people again 
uh, to focus on uh, coalition building and working with alliances and working with different groups versus only working with their friends and family. I mean, anytime you can become an older person with less than 35% of the vote, you can become male with less than 35% of the vote. It's a problem. Uh, Proposition D, I think has helped us tremendously. Once again, it forces citywide uh, people who aspire to be citywide officials uh, to have to work outside of their uh, own little group. Uh, and so silo, silo politics has been one of the, bi- one of the biggest problems. Uh, people just looking out for their own uh, self-interest and or uh, ward interests. Uh, the other thing is developers in this city basically run this city. Uh, developers rule. Uh, Rex, Rex rules. Uh, Paul McKee rules. That, is, that, has been, that has been part of the problem uh, in this area. When you have Civic Progress and the Regional Chamber of Commerce, who, who are the gr- biggest lobbyists uh, in, this, in this region, who continue to dictate public policy uh, versus the public dictating public policy, uh, you're always going to have uh, you're always going to have issues, you know. When when public officials have to first find out what developers uh, and business entities want uh, before they make a decision, uh, that's always going to be a problem. When Centene rules, uh, when we're more concerned about what Centene says uh, than what uh, the voter says, you're always going to have a problem. Uh, with politics uh, in St. Louis. Uh, it's, it's really not a, a north-south divide. It is a, a 28 ward divide. And, and, and that's the reality. So introduce me to Expect Us. How did that start and, and what is the mission of, of that organization? Expect Us started uh, after the, the Jason Stockley verdict. When Jason Stockley was acquitted for the murder of Anthony Anthony Lamar Smith, September 15th, uh, 2017. Uh, that day uh, sparked uh, four months of protests uh, in St. Louis. Uh, we, we, we believe that uh, there was no accountability uh, with police violence in this city. And so four months of protests around the, the Jason Stockley issue, uh, and I was invited uh, into a group of young activists, frontline activists who had come out of the, the, the Michael Brown murder uh, protests, uh, the Ferguson uprising. And I was asked by Corey Russell, Alderman John Collins Mohammed, and um, Michael Hassel to um, connect the protesters with the clergy. They saw my work uh, working with Corey because all, all of the protesters worked with Corey. So they had seen my work with Corey and they said, can you set up a meeting between protest organizers and clergy? Because we're going to need a united front in moving forward uh, as we protest the Stockley verdict. And this was prior uh, to September 15th. So there was already the feeling uh, that Stockley was gonna be acquitted. That, that feeling was already out. So people had started planning prior to September 15th. 
So I coordinated a meeting between religious leaders and protest leaders at St. Luke's uh, Baptist Church. Jimmy Brown is the pastor. And we talked about uh, working together. And, and what we had to talk about first was overcoming uh, a, a, a riff that had taken place between clergy and activists during, during uh, Ferguson. So we kind of got through that. We, we, we agreed to do some listening sessions uh, uh, between uh, activists and clergy to give activists an opportunity to share their frustrations with, with clergy leadership or what, what, what protesters felt was the lack of clergy leadership around social justice, particularly in the, within the black community. So we got through that and uh, clergy were invited to participate uh, in the protests, primarily serving as buffers between the police and the protesters. People like uh, David Gerth uh, and Teresa Danley and uh, uh, you know, so many others with, with MCU. MCU helped us out tremendously. Karen Anderson was the, was the president, Reverend Dr. Karen Anderson was the president of MCU during the time. Uh, uh, people like Rabbi Susan Talvey and others. And so it was MCU uh, along with other clergy groups uh, who set up safe spaces uh, for protesters, who uh, helped provide uh, secure equipment, uh, be it uh, hand warmers or, or milk or, or, or mask or just, you know, just anything that we needed during the protests. Uh, clergy groups like MCU and others helped to provide. And I was the liaison between the protesters and the clergy groups. Um, almost at the end of the, the, the four months of protests, uh, we realized that we needed to stay organized, that we could not just show up. You know, we couldn't do pop-up protests that we need to become more organized in what we were doing. So uh, Lala Moore and Cheyenne Green uh, and Ebony Williams uh, and a few others decided on this name, Expect Us. Before that, we were just frontline. And they decided, no, we, we expect us. Why? Because if there is discrimination somewhere, you need to expect us. If there is police violence somewhere, you need to expect us. If there is, uh, you know, whatever the issue might be, you need to understand that we're going to show up. And so just expect us. And uh, they were the three that came up with, uh, with the term expect us. Uh, and we all agreed to it, and it kind of moved out of Stockley. Uh, since uh, Stockley, uh, the Expect Us movement has been involved, as I said, in uh, 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 political activities, uh, uh, doing presentations uh, to government officials, uh, and then George Floyd happened. And Expect Us, I, I would say, has been the leading uh, organization around uh, protest organizing, not just in the region but in the state, uh, around the around you know the, the George Floyd murder, the Breonna Taylor murder, 
uh, and others. And um, I'm just I'm just honored, uh, really, Kevin, to uh, to be part of of a group of young, bright, courageous, committed activists uh, who are willing to put their all on the line uh, to make uh, this city uh, and this state and this country better. That that kind of leads me to my one of my last questions is what brings you hope and and how do you keep your spirits up through all this? Uh, it's not easy, Kevin. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, there are, are many days that I just, you know, say, you know, I'm just, I'm tired. You know, I've been fighting this fight for almost 50 years. Uh, but when you see the, the successes of, of, a, of a Cory Bush, when you see the, the commitment of a Rasheen Aldrich, uh, when you when you know when you see the work of MCU and Progressive Baptists and the the uh, the, the clergy uh, coalition who who have really come into their own under the leadership of Bishop Hankerson, when when you when you continue to see the coalitions and the the alliances form, people like Megan Green who I have a tremendous amount of respect for uh, and the work that she does on city council, uh, the, the, the election of a Wesley Bell and the, the work of a Kim Gardner, prosecutors who believe in criminal justice reform. Uh, when you continue to see uh, the movement that came out of uh, the George Floyd murder, uh, young people, this intergenerational movement who continue to show up, that gives me hope. It lets me know that I can reach back and pass the baton and there are so many hands uh, who are ready and willing and able to grasp it and run their leg of the race. And, 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 and to do it unapologetically and to do it Unwa uh, without wavering and to do it with, with the kind of commitment that would make a Rosa Parks or a Fannie Lou Hamer or a Dr. King proud. That's what gives me hope. Uh, I'm watching this next generation of leadership emerge and take their place. And um, because of them, I don't feel no ways tired. Okay, good. And I think my last question is, are, are there any actions or activities coming up that you just want to give a shout out to um, or, or, you know, things starting in the new year? What do people need to be lo looking on the horizon for? I mean, there are so many things. I, I think that uh, from a, a, a state point of view, uh, there are legislators that are trying to push through legislation uh, to uh, diminish the work really put in jeopardy, uh, and I mean physical jeopardy, uh, the lives of protesters. There's a, a, a bill that is going to be, that has been introduced or filed that would give immunity to drivers who run into protesters if drivers fear for their lives. They can get immunity if they run over a protester or hit a protester. That's something that we're going to be fighting. Uh, in Jeff City. 
I think that we need to uh, be watching this thing about the, the evictions. Uh, I know there's a moratorium now. That moratorium may be lifted uh, in January or February. Need, we need to, to, to watch out for that. It's going to disproportionately affect people of color. Um, those two things uh, we need to be, to, to be mindful of. And, and just, I guess, the last thing, we're going to have an election for mayor uh, in the spring. Uh, whoever wins uh, needs to have a clear message on how they will deal with developing uh, the, the north part of the city. There needs to be a clear strategy, not just lip service, uh, of, of speaking to the issues of poverty uh, and crime uh, in this city. And, and, and once again, not lip service. Uh, we, are, we cannot and should not elect someone just because they're black. We cannot or should not elect somebody just because they're female. We need to elect a mayor who has a plan uh, to deal with the reality and the issues of this city. Uh, and so once again, uh, a, a lot of things uh, in this city, in this state, that, uh, that we're gonna be up against in the new year. Uh, protesters and politicians need to work hand in hand uh, to make this city and this state better. Uh, and I believe that there are people out there who are committed to doing just that. Hey, great, I wanna thank you so much for your time today. It's been a joy talking to you and I've learned a lot about some background of some things that, that I just didn't know as much. So thank you for joining me today. Kevin, it was a pleasure and thank you for the work that you do. God bless you. Thank you. And to learn more about MCU, go to Metropolitan Congregations United website at mcustlewis.org. Also be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for news and events. I'm Kevin Prang and you've been listening to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. Tune in again next time and thank you for listening.